Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we continue our study in the Gospel according to John with chapter 7. After this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on a Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed, as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They went each to his own house. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so as we we continue on in our, our study of John, Jesus is going to spend his time away from Jerusalem primarily. The Jews are seeking to arrest him, kill him, so he's going to not be in their vicinity all the time. He's going to be in the surrounding communities. Galilee is off to the north a good ways, uh, so he's going to spend his time there preaching, teaching, walking through the various villages so that they have a chance to hear that the kingdom of God has come near in Christ Jesus. Now, you might ask your children in today's text, is it's an idea that comes up several times, why are they seeking to kill him? Or why are they seeking to arrest him? And this is the idea that Jesus has claimed to be God and that he is breaking their laws, their laws about keeping the Sabbath. That conversation is going to come up in this. And as one group of people is going to say he's leading the people astray so you can see some of their intent in that we can look at it with a much deeper perspective though and recognize that it is our sinful nature that sought to destroy god our sinful nature rebels against god wants to be our own god and in order to be our own god god himself must go away so it's the sinful nature of man that seeks to tear down god from his throne we're not capable of it but our sinful nature wants it to happen. And it's our sinful natures together throughout history that have put Christ on that cross outside of Jerusalem on Golgotha. Verse 2, the timing for this is the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is in the seventh month of every year for the Jewish people. It is the 15th through the 21st day of the month. And it's a remembrance of the Exodus account where they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years living in tents. It is one of the three celebrations that they are required to go to Jerusalem for. Passover, weeks, and booths. Those three festivals, those three feasts. We get some sarcasm and snark from the brothers of Jesus. James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, um, I am of the mind that these are truly the brothers of Jesus, that Joseph and Mary are actually husband and wife, and that there was no valid good reason that they should not be like a husband and wife together, that their marriage should be different or somehow um, less than the, the marriages of those around them. I think 
one of the things that leads to the idea that Mary remained a virgin forever is the idea that sex is dirty, which has been taught in the church, certainly, has been a it's been taught throughout the history of the church in various ways in various places. Sex is a gift of God. Between man and woman, husband, wife, within the confine of marriage, sex is a gift. It's a good thing, and it brings life by our Creator. It's, it's actually a working together, a, a joining of ourselves with our Creator in His creative act. It's a really neat thing when you think of it in that perspective. So I see... No scriptural reason to say that Mary never had sex with Joseph and that Mary never bore further children. I know that's the common position of the church history, even among many Lutherans, uh, but I don't I don't see it. So if you want to take issue with me on that, you certainly can. You wouldn't be alone. I'm in the minority, I think, uh, amongst the Lutheran pastors, but seems to be the the reading of the text to me. So we can talk about it sometime if you want. We're going to move on. So Jesus' brothers are making fun of him. They don't believe in him. They're saying, look, if you want to be this king, if you want everybody to know you, why don't you show yourself? Make yourself known. So it's not a good taunt. This is not a good thing. Jesus declines going to the feast with them. Now this is one that you need to talk about, I think, with the family. Did Jesus just lie? He tells his brothers, I'm not going up to this feast. And then he goes. Did he just lie? What happens if Jesus sins? Lying is a sin. It's not of God. One of the I am statements of Jesus that's coming up very shortly for us, not in today's text, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me in John chapter 14. So, lying would be not good. What's going on here? What has he said? What has he declined? He has declined to go with his brothers on their terms, that he would go with them and reveal himself to everybody and and make this a thing about him, or that he would go with them as some kind of a, a worshiper like any other. He's God in the flesh. He goes where he pleases when he pleases. And so he will go to the feast, but not with them. He will go to the feast, but not in such a way as to do this giant show like they are joking, mockingly saying that he should do. I think that's probably the best way to look at that. So he's going to go up, and John phrases it this way, not publicly, but in private. The Jews are looking for him. At first, they can't find him, so there's just muttering all over, mumbling about who he is, some saying he's good, some saying he's misleading the people. Those are fair opinions, contrasting opinions, yes, but kind of the picture. Jesus either is good or he's misleading. I, I continue to get baffled by those today who say that Jesus was a good teacher, like those who don't believe in Christianity, those who aren't followers of Christ. Oh, he was a good teacher. No, he wasn't. He's either the good teacher, in which case you ought to believe in him, or he was out of his mind, which the family of Jesus and Mark's gospel are actually going to say about him. They think he's gone insane. So nobody speaks all that openly, so they're not having public discourse about Jesus because they fear the leadership amongst the Jews. 
Jesus eventually, however, in the middle of the feast, so it's the 15th through the 21st, so take it a few days in, whether it's 17th, 18th, 19th, somewhere in there, he heads into the temple and he teaches. And the Jews are, are stunned that they, they can't understand how it is he has all this knowledge. How does he know these things about God's word? He's never studied. Well, we know it's because he's God, uh, but what this does reveal about their culture is a lack of knowledge of God's word. Exodus chapter 12, 13, Deuteronomy chapter 6, very specific that fathers should teach their faith to their sons. They should teach God's word to their children, and they haven't been. It's a common problem. It's a recurring problem. It was around in Luther's day. It's why he wrote the small catechism as the head of the household should teach to his family in a simple way, and it's still a problem in our day. So nothing new under the sun here. Jesus will go on to say that his teaching is not his own, but it belongs to God. He invites them to discern. Listen to what he teaches. See if it's his own or if it's from God. And if it's from God, then the one who speaks has no falsehood in him. He has been true. He mentions that Moses gave them the law, and this is going to get into that Sabbath healing that he did a couple of chapters ago. The people got mad at Jesus for for healing the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5. It was a Sabbath. That's why they're mad that he told the man to pick up his mat and walk. So Jesus uses this illustration of the Sabbath, the idea that Moses, as instructed, circumcision must be done. Circumcision's work, right? It takes physical labor to do the circumcision. And yet you allow for circumcision to be done on the Sabbath because it's good for the man. If it's good for the man to have that done, why not what I did? Why not what Christ did in healing that man on the Sabbath day, making his whole body well, rather than just part? It's a, it's a good logic move in terms of that. I mean, Jesus sometimes will use the, the worldly ways of logic to try to, to reason with people and help them see the foolishness of their own thinking. The crowd here has accused him already of having a demon, because he's mentioned that they're seeking to kill him. They don't understand that. They don't see that. They're not sure why anybody's seeking to kill him. They don't believe him saying that, but that's what's going to play out in the, well, the rest of the chapter, is that they indeed are trying to kill him. Now, when you come down to verse 25, they're debating who he is. They don't believe he can be the Christ, because they know where he comes from, and they assume that they wouldn't know where the Christ comes from. Which is an interesting assumption, and I'm not really sure where it comes from, other than thinking that somehow the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, would have to be something not of man. He's got to be something greater. And, I mean, Jesus is something greater. He is God in the flesh. But they don't recognize that. And so he continues to proclaim, similar to what he has in the last chapter as well, that they don't know him because they don't know the Father. But he knows him because he knows the Father. Now we do see that many of the people believed in him. However, they immediately then say, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So they don't really believe in him. Right? They're hearing him. Like, ah, that sounds good. That's kind of where it's at. 
but then they turn around and say something not of faith, not belief. So the Christ is going to come. Will he, will he do more good works than this guy did? Will he do more miracles than this guy's done? Oh, how cool is the Christ going to be? So the Pharisees at that point try to arrest him together with the chief priests. Um, the Gospels often say chief priests. There's only supposed to be one chief priest in Israel's history. Uh, there were times where they, they had a rotation um, but this could simply be taken instead to be a reference to the idea of all the the upper class of the priesthood, not just the high priest himself. So they try to arrest Jesus. Perhaps the temple guard uh, would be the, the ones doing this. Which that's going to be who it is that arrests him later on in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus admits he's only going to be there a little while longer, that he's going to return to the Father that is a reference to his ascension and that they will seek to find him but they won't be able to because he's going to be in heaven. He's going to be on his throne. They cannot come to that place, which is actually perhaps a reference to judgment, that he will be in paradise and they won't be, but they cannot come there. It might not be that far. It might just be the idea that he's on his throne in heaven and we're not capable of going there but it could stretch the further distance there too. They start to question how Jesus can do that. Like, how can he disappear? How can he go somewhere we can't go? Interestingly, they then say, will he go among the Greeks? As though that's somewhere that they can't go. Uh, In their own understanding of things, to be among the Greeks would make them unclean, so they don't want to go there. The dispersion is the scattering of the Jewish people in the exile, Uh, under Assyria or Babylon, where they've scattered into the surrounding nations. Not everyone came back, not all returned. Interestingly enough, one Jewish man by the name of Paul will go into the dispersion of the Greeks, and he will share Christ with them, and many will come to faith through him, through the work that he does by the Holy Spirit. The last day of the feast is the 21st day of the seventh month. It is a holy convocation to the Lord, so a day of no work, but the holy congregation gathering for worship and Jesus at that point reiterates something really that he said in chapter 6 yesterday if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink so the idea of giving living water John 4 the idea of he is the bread of life John 6 he will feed he will he will provide for his people not the bread that they wanted from yesterday's chapter as they chased him all over for bread What he cites from here in verse 38 is unknown. There doesn't appear to be a very clear, like, direct word-for-word Old Testament verse that he's going for here, Um, at least not as we have it. So it could could be just our error on our part. It could be that he's working not word for word, but he's just referencing the teaching of the Old Testament as a whole, um, that out of his heart will flow rivers of living water is very similar to what he told the woman at the well, that the living water that he would give her would well up within her unto eternal life. So then he says that this is the spirit that the people would receive. We receive the spirit in baptism. And the rest of that reference that Jesus had not been glorified yet, so the spirit had not been given, it's something Jesus will eventually hear tell his disciples in the book, that he must first ascend into heaven so that he can send the spirit to them. This is a good thing because the Spirit will lead us into all truth. 
So the people are divided, saying he's the prophet. That's the Deuteronomy 18 reference. He's the Christ. Others are saying, can the Christ come from Galilee? And they're rightly referencing 2 Samuel 7, the promise of the king to the line of David, Micah 5, that the king would come from David's home of Bethlehem. And they're not connecting that Jesus did come from Bethlehem, that he was born there as a child. Remember that Herod killed all the boys that age from Bethlehem, so maybe they're assuming that, uh, that the Savior could not come from there at this time. They'd have to wait a little longer in their mind. So there's division. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. But no one touches him because it's still not yet his hour. The Pharisees get into a squabble over this because their officials didn't, their officers didn't arrest him. They accuse the officers of being hoodwinked, deceived as well. And then Nicodemus steps up and says that they at least need to judge him. Like The, the law requires we judge him. And then they, they bash him too accusing him of being from Galilee, which is an insult. Right? He's, if you're from Galilee, you're not from Jerusalem. You're not from Judah. You're not a Jew. You're an outsider. You're a Gentile. So they're, they're belittling him in that, that phrase. Search and see. No prophet arises from Galilee. So search the Old Testament and see. Where do the prophets come from? They expect the prophet from Jerusalem. They expect the prophet to be a Jew. Again, Jesus is, they're missing that connection, but the people are, they're confused about it, they're battling over it. It ends with that. You might have a note in your Bible, you should have a note in your Bible saying that the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53 through 811. That's only a few words in chapter 7 that went each to his own house. So I'm going to hold off, we will talk tomorrow in chapter 8 about what's going on with these four these 12 verses Is there-